Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hello again, everybody. This is Engage 360 from Denver Seminary. My name is Don Payne, and we are glad you have connected with us for another conversation. Sometimes we talk about those who are in the trenches of ministry and the demands of dealing firsthand with the brokenness of people's lives. And many of uh, many of these folks are unsung and unrecognized for the remarkable investments they make in the lives of others. And in this episode, we're going to be talking uh, about what it's like to be in those trenches. And we have two guests with us, Coletta Smith and Priscilla Young, who are involved in ministry to some of the most under-recognized servants, the spouses of ministry leaders, uh, in many cases pastors, um, but those who come alongside spouses who have, in some cases, rather prominent ministry leadership roles. Uh, Both Coletta and Priscilla have served for lots of years alongside their husbands who occupy pretty prominent public ministry roles and have bring a lot to this conversation and are part of a ministry I think is called along alongside it is alongside yeah. so well welcome welcome to the podcast Coletta thank you Priscilla. so much thank you good to have you both here tell us um, first a bit about the ministry you have and uh, you have had and continue to have in this area of coming alongside ministry spouses so uh, alongside was birthed out of um, a need for helping ministry wives to find each other and to find uh, strengthening uh, resources that were gonna, are going to help them embrace the opportunities that are really unique to being called to be a ministry wife. Um, and some of those opportunities are really obvious. Others are, are not so obvious and are really behind the scenes. Uh, like you were talking about. And we, we've realized that uh, finding those people and finding safe, safe people in your life that can speak wisdom, but also help you see where God is already moving, uh, are difficult, especially when you're a ministry spouse. When Coletta and I first met, we realized that we had a very similar um, passion about helping wives in ministry. Mine takes a little different tack because Mark and I have been in theological education for years and years. So I have really um, come alongside wives at seminary and helping them sort of, I guess, develop this idea that they're in it together and uh, just kind of giving them strength to go out and uh, move into ministry together with their husbands in a way that a lot of people don't really talk about. So we found a similar passion, just a little different way of uh, living it out. Mm-hmm. It was exciting when we first met because we even had some of the same vocabulary and ideas and heart come out uh, because we both had lived 25, 30, 40 years of embracing this idea of being a team, that this isn't his calling, that we each have uh, unique but um, every bit is as weighty of callings uh, as our spouses do, but those callings are always compatible with each other. Mm. And um, to be called to be a team in that trench that you talked about, 
uh, Don, uh, is such a blessing because it enables us to push in to what God is doing in our midst and to celebrate those joys, but also be able to deal with the the mortar shells that we can hear yeah. overhead and and the the cost of being on that front line in that trench, but to do it together in a way that really um, draws us together as a couple um, in our marriage, but also our family as a team. Yeah. Now, Priscilla alluded to this, but I'd like to hear a little bit more from each of you about your own ministry history, your own ministry experiences that you bring to the table in this current ministry you have. Yeah. uh, Mark and I, when we first got married, uh, we had just been through um, our interviews to be missionaries with our mission. And then we got married and about 30 days later, we were appointed officially and went to the mission field about a year later. And the interesting thing is when uh, we were applying to the mission board, we were doing it individually. Um, We had to go through the same things. Uh, We had to go through the same application, the same testing, the same um, uh, rigor really uh, as each other. and they appointed us as a couple. They just didn't appoint Mark, and then I was like the tag-along wife. Yeah. And that, you know, I think that made a real impression on me, and as I look back, I wish that every couple who was going into vocational ministry could have that kind of experience. Yes. Yeah, because, (laughs) you know, we knew we were in it together, and, you know, I I joke that our picture was on people's refrigerator together (laughs) for all the years that we were in missions. But um, that really... uh, started in us this idea that we were sharing this calling and individually we brought different things to it and we might have been doing different things but our calling as followers of Jesus to go overseas was uh, together and we just have kind of lived that out in uh, uh, all the different things that God has given us to do Um, since then in uh, seminary ministry here in the States uh, Mark is a professor um, and then now he's president here. And each time we've had to say, okay, how are we going to live out that shared calling um, in ways that are meaningful and show our passion? And that's the vocabulary that we've used uh, for years and years now. Yeah, you're remi- just parenthetically, you're reminding me of um, an experience my wife and I had uh, early in our marriage. When, when we got married, she was a college professor and I was only known for about three years as her husband. <laughs> and she told me uh, at one point um, when we were kind of transitioning roles and venues, she said to me very clearly, I am not your appendage, um, which was a, a very good thing for me to hear at that, at that point. Mm-hmm. She has her ministry, and um, it's as valued as um, anything that the culture might value that in many cases a man would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Coletta, your story. Yeah, so uh, Craig and I were married 28 years ago, and we went immediately into youth ministry, which we did in Ohio for three years. Realized how much we didn't know and how much more training we needed. Uh, but God had so gripped us for uh, ministry in the church and also student ministry. So we came out to Denver Seminary and loved our experience here. Uh, And then Craig began teaching for Denver Seminary as an adjunct, and he did that for about 15 years Mm -hmm. until about five years ago, um, which when he had to give up that very reluctantly. uh, And we were sad to lose him, too. Uh, Maybe bitter, but at least sad, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He he loves it. But the beautiful thing is we are 
obviously still in the area, so we see a ton of his uh, past students, have a lot of them on staff, actually, at Mission Hills. So um, once we came out here to do seminary, we... uh, were hired on at a small church plant. It was only a year old. They had four students and some giving them a chunk of money to get a youth pastor. So, and on our on our drive out when we were moving, they called and said, oh, we heard you lead worship too. And that's actually how Craig and I met, was uh, leading worship with crew. Can you be a worship pastor too? Well, when it's a church plant, you are like, you can of do course, everything. Yeah. yes. And you can, can take out the trash. <laughs> Which we did. <laughs> Um, so we actually stayed at this church plant that grew and flourished uh, for quite a few years. And then uh, we saw it just go through a, a year of about or about eight years of decline and just um, just a painful hemorrhage. Uh, and but during also during that time, Craig was um, the associate pastor there and we started a nonprofit. And so Craig and I were doing conferences around the country and in different countries around the world to um, help equip God's people to tackle intersections of faith and culture. So we we did that until um, until the Lord uh, moved us into the senior pastor position at this at this what was a little church plant. We had been there about 18 years by this time and um, really had the privilege of walking through really all the stages of health and unhealth Mm. that that a church goes through. Uh, And then suddenly the Lord um, began to breathe life back into that church. And it was a joy to be able, especially for our children, because um, they were finally able to see joy in church ministry. Mm. They had seen it in our nonprofit, but to see God show up and um, invigorate people uh, to, to live on mission with him. So we did that for about two years, and then suddenly the Lord intervened and moved us to Mission Hills, which is, um, for those of you not from this area, it's only about 15 miles down the road from our original church. So that was a really different kind of transition. I uh, assumed that I would just kind of maintain all the friendships that were a part of that 20-year investment, Um, but they really, uh, really changed a lot. Um, And going from a church of 450 to a church of 4,500 when we came to Mission Hills, uh, that was a big adjustment as well. I can remember uh, sitting in the back of the big room and just not being able to breathe uh, and going, Lord, how am I ever going to find a place here? Mm. Um, there is no space here. And God meeting me in all of my fears, um, all those things that I was really anxious about and saying, I see you and I'm going to meet you and I'm going to create a space for you. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you you both mentioned that uh, some of some of the things you've done along the way that have led up to this, and we were talking about this before we got on the um, got on the recording today, how it's easy for for people who may not know each of you very well to see you only in terms of what you're currently doing, and and the ministries that in in your cases your husbands currently have, which are pretty high profile, mm-hmm. uh, and lose sight of the fact that. Uh, you, you were in lots of different forms of ministries, kind of mm-hmm. trudging along, you know, as, as all of us do in uh, in anything, any any form of ministry from time to time. We're just kind of doing the next thing and uh, doing multiple mm-hmm. things. Right. 
Um, so you bring all of that, those thin layers of experience to the, uh, the ministry you currently have coming alongside pastor's wives. Right. Um, what do you see, I mean, since the, the two of you work primarily, I think, with, with the wives of male pastors, mm-hmm. um, I know that's, that's not the case everywhere, but that's, that's probably dominant. What are some of the common challenges you see pastors' wives face? So I think one of the biggest challenges is not realizing that she uh, or he has a calling uh, on their lives that has so much um, intentionality by the Lord and weight. Uh, A lot of times we can see ourselves as accessories. Yeah. Or up an appendage. Yeah, the appendage, right. And right. sometimes other people tend to see you as an accessory, too. Yes. Yeah. In fact, uh, short story, I had somebody come up to me one weekend, and um, they said, you know, they went into the usual, Craig is such a blessing to us. He's so gifted. We get ministered to every weekend when we come, you know. And I say, I'm so glad God is using him. Um, but then they went on to say, oh, and we're just so glad that you love to be in the background. Like, you're just so content being uh, just kind of behind the curtain. And I thought, oh, what an assumption you just made. Because um, I'll tell you what, the conversations that Craig and I have had when we were in seminary and throughout the past 25 years, uh, there was no hiding behind the curtain in that rubbing up against each other and distilling what we really stand for. Uh, So... That assumption, I, I think, is, yeah, not quite accurate. I, I have to believe that when that kind of thing, however well-intended it might be, <laughs> I have to believe that when that is said, the way that is often heard is, oh, you're content to be nobody. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think that's sure. the way it's internalized? Sure. And I think the biggest challenge that I see for, for myself living through it, but also for the women that we are coming alongside, is to help them see how God has uniquely crafted them, their personality, their experiences, whether they would label them good or bad. Okay. Um, the, the passions that really draw at their heartstrings, uh, the needs that are around them, all those things. Um, God works together to show them exactly what he wants to do through their lives and that he has a plan and those good works that he created in advance that they would walk around in them like Ephesians talks Mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to speak directly to my target group, which is seminary wives, and um, uh, just say that I think one of the things that I hear is um, uh, this is my husband's thing. And my calling is to be a nurse or a teacher. And um, I, you know, I, I take exception to that. And that's the kind of language that I want to help them listen to and then begin to reconsider. Because I think when you think about this is his calling and this is my calling, you're kind of going in two separate directions. And I feel like when God brings us together as a couple, he wants us to be going in the same direction. Mm. So what is your calling? Well, your calling is to be a follower of Jesus, and his calling is to be a follower of Jesus. And how are you going to live that out? And how can you live that out with your uniqueness, but also coming together and seeing yourselves in a shared calling. So these are some of the things that I talk about with the wives here at seminary. As I said before, you know, hoping that they'll begin to think differently and when they go out into the ministry, 
uh, whether it's pastoral ministry, whether um, it's counseling or uh, nonprofit or some of the many other ways our students uh, go out and express ministry, um, they'll go out with this uh, just kind of a new vision of what God can do with them together. And they'll have that commitment and they'll live out that passion of being followers of Jesus on the same mission and expressing it in these ways. Well, what does that look like, Priscilla, when when each spouse does have a fully engaging career um, that is, in some cases, very different, and they both feel very called to and very engaged in those respective career directions, even though one of them may be a pastor? Mm-hmm. What, what, what yeah. does that look like to have a ministry together when, when they do, in fact, yeah. have two very different orbits professionally? Well, I cannot paint a picture for somebody else. So I can't tell you what it's going to look like, but I think it's really a hard attitude. So that's what I would be talking about is, um, you know, it's going to look different for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think, honestly, um, just as a little parenthetical statement here, what we're talking about, I think, could be applied to every Christ-following couple, whether they're in vocational ministry or not. But our, our people happen to be vocational ministry people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, you know, just, just in a big picture way, it's going to look like we've had conversations. We've talked about our individual callings. We've talked about what we're passionate about. And we understand one another. And we want to support one another. And we want to find ways to impact people's lives together. Mm-hmm. So how's that going to look for Mark and me? It's going to look different than how it looks for you and Sharon. Um, Sharon, your wife, and I have had this conversation, and we want to have it more because she's had a very distinct uh, vocation for many, many years yeah. that isn't engaged with the seminary. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it looks different for you guys. Mm-hmm. And I don't doubt for a minute that you have a shared calling, but it's not, it doesn't look the same as it does for us mm. or for Craig and Coletta. Mm. I love that you talked about it's all about impacting people for for Christ's sake, um, and figuring out how we each, what we each bring to the table in that. Um, I think we need to get away from this. I'm not the typical pastor's wife or mm-hmm. language because mm-hmm. I think that's like so outdated. There is not a typical anymore. And that's really freeing. Um, I, I tell the women that I'm coaching that this is not about adding more things to your schedule. This is not about you becoming a leader in kids ministry or worship ministry or whatever, taking on more responsibilities. Directing the choir and playing the piano, that was our generation. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly, that. or leading women's <laughs> ministry Bible studies. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is being fully engaged in those heart-wrestling conversations and the two o'clock in the morning seeking God and beseeching him for direction and like what should we do with this situation that is doesn't seem like there's any good options um, that that we could decide or lead forward in so it's about being in that together and being willing to resist the desire to have him leave church at church Mm. or leave counseling at the office or all of those that's a real temptation Mm. to want him to just separate it but what happens is hurting people have weight and they are they have a uh, 
it's heavy and it's going to pull. So ministry is always going to pull and it it can either pull a marriage apart or it can pull you together Mm -hmm. toward this front line of what Jesus is doing in your life. What what have you seen um, that tends to make the difference between the stresses, the demands of ministry, pulling a marriage apart or pulling it together? What a great question. So I think a lot of that has to do with um, a husband's humility. Um, And I, I, forgive me for the gender stuff. It's just what my situation looks like. Of course, um, we're going to have women pastors and and things like that. But um, in our, in my context, um, it takes the one that is in the, that leadership role, that humility to seek out the counsel of the one that God has brought alongside him. And then on her part, it takes a refusal to let bitterness set in. Um, because when things go sideways, as they always will, um, and we're mistreated or, or whatever, something, something hurtful happens, there's a tendency to um, hold on to that bitterness and that makes us push ministry away and create a wall um, to protect ourselves, our own hearts, and our family um, from being consumed. And we need to resist that with all that we are to press into that, to figure out some some good ways of healing, because it's easier to heal wounds than it is a cancer. Hmm. So we can talk, that's a different conversation, but um, I think those are the two things that I see that make a difference is a husband's humility and a wife's refusal to embrace bitterness. Hmm. That's well said. I think one of the things that I would add to that, especially for couples in vocational ministry, um, particularly in church ministry, is for the wife to recognize that as she walks with God, she is the most important voice that her husband needs to hear besides the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we've always joked, sometimes the Holy Spirit sounds like our spouse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um, I think oftentimes uh, women, uh, wives of of men in ministry leadership, um, feel like their voice isn't heard. And so they silence their voice or they lose their voice. And sometimes, unfortunately, their husband silences their voice. Mm. But I just feel like it's so important. God has given us as spouses, a voice in each other's lives as we walk with God that should be the most important voice we listen to. Mm. Oh, amen. Yeah. I, I assume that many of the women you come alongside in, in this particular ministry uh, m- might connect with you because they're already in kind of a bad place. Is that fair? Or, or do you get a good, um, a good number of women who are also thinking more proactively and preemptively? I think this generation now uh, that are in their 20s and 30s is more proactive and preemptive than past generations mm-hmm. of anyone that I've ever worked with. Um, a lot That's good news. It yeah. is. To my ears. Well, I, mean, I think it comes from all the conversations about self-care and spiritual formation and uh, all those pieces of staying healthy. Uh so I, I think that uh, there's more people being proactive and realizing that, okay, we got to figure out how to do this team thing together because we are not unified and we've got to fix this. Uh, so that's, that's where a lot of women come to us. We, once we discern that there's um, some real 
uh, deep-seated wounding that's happened in their ministry past. We, um, all of our coaches can kind of pull them aside and spend some one-on-one time with them, and, uh, and we have some resources that, that mm-hmm. help them work through that. Yeah. In, in addition mm-hmm. to some of the things you've already mentioned, are there common things you find yourselves saying a lot to women? Um, one of the things that we talk about both in the seminary groups and in the pastor's wives groups is uh, I use this illustration of train tracks. And uh, so we, we all talk about, we always talk about that as kind of being a picture of what, how we see marriage. So you got two, you got two rails on a track and they're going in the same direction and they're tied together with lots of lots of ties. And, you know, I see that as a good illustration of how our marriage and, you know, I mean, in our context, marriage and ministry, but how our marriages have to be, um, you know, obviously we want our two, our two individual rails always going in the same direction, but we have to lay down lots of ties. If the ties begin to break, the tracks will separate and the train derails. So I use that as a way to just say, That's hey. That's a great image. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we have to be always putting down tr- ties, making sure that we have lots of ties. And the ties can be so many different things, but the ties aren't the children. Yes. <laughs> because you see so many couples, you know, as the children grow, the, the ties break and they fall apart. But um, just so many different ties that tie us together. And that can be a number of different things. And Coletta uses different uh, examples than I do because we're speaking to two different groups of people. But that's, a, that's something that we, that we use a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I got it, but hmm. it turned fantastic. out to be a really good illustration. She loved it, and I've been using it for years. Yeah. <laughs> we even have a, a date night homework that we give all of our women that are involved with our cohorts uh, to go home and go on a date and work through this about where are your railroad ties that are going to prevent you from this natural drift that happens. So that's that's pretty fun. That is a great image. Going back to um, whatever the percentages are of the the, uh, ministry wives and maybe ministry wives to be well, how how does how does the reality of ministry as they're as they're experiencing it compare to what they thought it would be? When when we have d- these discussions with wives who are at seminary, um, many of them have already come from some kind of ministry. Uh, many of them have had some negative experiences already, or they're engaged in ministry as they're here. So. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we hear some of the ideals um, from the wives, um, but many of them, I don't know that they have, they have an idea. They're, mm. they're pretty fresh, mm. you know, many of the young ones who are coming straight out of college and really, like many of them are newlyweds. So it's really fun to be able to impact them without them already having experiences, but some already have experiences and some already have hurts. So that's been interesting too. Mm. Go ahead. We talk about what is your biggest surprise and both negative and positive. And the, the biggest negative surprise that I hear consistently is I never thought it would be so lonely. Hmm. Um, Because you're surrounded by so many believers 
like we should all just be like doing life on life and be this big family that is just really going through all of this together and like-minded and all of that. Um, but to realize that, oh, when I sit in a small group, like if I choose to do a, a Bible study with some people um, and everybody's going around and sharing the thing that's really weighing on their hearts and they want prayer for, I've got to click through 10 things before I can come up with something I can share. Yeah. Because, um, oh, this thing that's keeping my husband and I up at night, it's actually your husband. Or, you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah. if y'all could just... Or it might be you. Straighten, right, <laughs> yeah. right? straighten up and love each other, uh, we'd be good. But, um, yeah, they are really surprised at how lonely it is and how difficult it is to find um, a friend who can not only listen well which is super rare, mm-hmm. um, but is wise enough to uh, really help them see where Jesus is moving in their midst, because that's what we really need to be pressing in on. Um, the advice from somebody, I mean, I think that there's some sticky situations where some good advice can be really helpful from someone who's been there before, but I think the, the really intense need is to be able to point them toward where is where is God moving in your heart? What is he asking? Um, what does he want for you mm-hmm. in the midst of this? Does God want peace for you in the midst of this conflict? Does he want you to be resting in his presence in the midst of a crazy busy situation or busy schedule? You know, all of those things that we know from scripture that God wants for us. But then what does he want from you? Not from anybody else, not from your elder board, not from these people that are causing conflict, but to be able to really press into those things, it's super hard to find Can, someone like th- that. Do you think it's, um, I know this is a, <clears throat> a generalized question, but can those individuals be found easily within the ministries where they're serving, or do they need to be generally people outside the ministries? So that's a crazy question, because I would have said 10 years ago that, oh, Absolutely, it can be found in your church. And you I changed thought, your mind on that? Yeah. And I thought the, all those people that were telling me you have to have a friend outside the church, I thought they were crazy. And I thought, you just don't have a healthy church. Honestly, that's what I was a little judgy, right? So um, I, but my idea has changed because as the complexity of the organization has changed. So um, for the 20 years, that we led at this smaller church. I had an an intimate friend that um, understood me, helped me walk well, um, and that was the relationship that God most used. Um, But I found that I needed someone outside the church when we moved to to Mission Hills. What do you think, Priscilla? What, the inside-outside? Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, we've been in different ministry. We were in church ministry for a number of, well, nine years when we were still in Dallas. Um, and honestly, I've heard I've heard it both ways from people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. And maybe you know? it depends on the season. Yeah, I, I think, think God so. provides differently yeah. in that season. I think the important thing is that we are seeking out, we're praying for, and we're seizing the mm-hmm. opportunity to have somebody speaking into our life, mm-hmm. whether it's inside or outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think too, and one of the things I share with the gals here at seminary is um, we have to take the initiative Uh, when we see possibilities for friendship because oftentimes people look at us as leaders and they say oh I can't 
you know, I can't be their friend. Mm -hmm. So I think any kind of ministry leadership, we really have to take initiative. And uh, that's hard for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, It's hard for those of us who are extroverts because you sometimes you just tire (laughs) of always taking initiative, you know, and you're just like, (laughs) okay, I'm done. But it's I think it's a valuable asset, a valuable character trait, let's say, for anyone who's going to be in in vocational ministry to develop and to ask God to help them with. Because if you don't take initiative, you're going to be more lonely. Mm -hmm. I I would assume that some of the women you deal with are in a really, really bad place Mm -hmm. by the time they get connected with you. And if you're thinking about the difference between long-term healing and stop the hemorrhaging, what are the things that you would, that maybe that you do say, but that you would say to to listeners who are either in this place or they know a pastor's wife who is in this place? Mm-hmm. What's the first thing they do to stop the hemorrhaging? I think it's like dealing with any kind of trauma. You have to recognize and call it what it is that you are in crisis and you're in trauma. So you need to figure out a way to do triage and get yourself to... Um, a, a place where the you can pull a, pull away a little bit from the cause of the pain, just so that you can regroup and assess the damage. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's it's kind of basic trauma care, right? Um, but beyond that, I think women, especially, uh, well, no, I think both of us underestimate the need um, to create some space to grieve and to allow yourself to feel all of the the pain and the gross stuff and the anger and all of that um, and to be able to get that out outside of yourself um, so that you can see okay this is real it's valid this is what we went through Um, but then to be able to find a safe space uh, with someone else Um, and sometimes it needs to be someone besides your spouse mm. yes um, because when you're both hemorrhaging and you're both in such crisis uh, it's very difficult to figure out who's gonna who's gonna be the one that lifts yeah, you can't the other, help each up, other right it's good for two to be together right but when you're both in the pit um, that's pretty difficult so creating um, a safe space with someone else that's not only a good listener but someone that is able to um, offer some concrete steps okay here's the next thing how do we how do we offload call call some of this pain what it is tell your story get it outside of you but then look at okay where is God working in this Mm. healing process Mm. and what does he want from me Mm. and what does he want to do in me in the process of this Mm. sometimes that's a counselor like I came to a point where I was like I am willing to pay somebody to be my friend Mm -hmm. because there's no one safe and yeah. that's what it takes. Um, and I know, I understand that f- there's probably pastor's wives listening to this right now that are thinking to themselves, yeah, it would be nice if I could afford that, but I can't. But there are resources that we can help them find uh, if that's the issue. So I just encourage them to uh, not give up, but to pursue that safe space. Before we're done, we'll ask you to um, maybe tell how they can connect with you or help begin to find some of those resources sure. if that's where uh, where people are. But Priscilla? Yeah, I think 
often for those of us in ministry, it's really hard to, for us to admit that we need help. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's just like a physical illness. I, I'm getting over pneumonia. And uh, I had to just say, okay, I got to stay home, take a nap, rest, not do anything, not talk to anybody except my husband when he's at home. But, uh, you know, we have to come to a place of saying, this is not somehow my failure spiritually, like the things from outside are taking us down. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really hard for people in ministry to do. Well, especially if, if, if they are the ones in the trenches yeah. there to help others yeah. when their worlds are falling Absolutely. apart. Yeah. So that, I think that's the first step is just saying, uh, we need help. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think somehow it's an admission of like, I'm not spiritual enough or I'm exactly. not like depending on Jesus enough mm-hmm. that I'm not able to just be okay with this and heal by myself. But um, there's some pain. Uh, there's some pain that uh, God brings other people into our lives to help yeah. us That's right. navigate. There's a great book called um, Healing Your Church Hurts. It's by Stephen Mansfield. And um, I am just loving how he is able to walk people through the steps of, of that healing, specifically from friendly fire in the church. Yeah. If you had a chance, I don't know if you ever do have a chance, this chance, but if you were to have a chance to speak to people in the churches where, in many cases, these pastors' wives are languishing, what would you say to people in the churches about their pastors' wives? I think I'd first start a pastor's wife appreciation Sunday because there's a pastor <laughs> appreciation Sunday. <laughs> but I've never month. heard about that. Yeah, how about a whole month, pastor's wives appreciation <laughs> i've never heard There's of that idea. but um yeah. i think that's a i think pastor's wives are an overlooked asset and an overlooked they're overlooked people who just uh have a lot of assumptions made on them and aren't fully appreciated mm-hmm. for sure there is the assumption that the paycheck is thank you enough Um, But there's really no other job that requires me to show up every week to embrace all of my husband's colleagues and their spouses and help them through um, any kind of spiritual crisis or family crisis um, to walk alongside those people and all the people that are the clients of my husband's business. Mm -hmm. I'm needed to to minister to them, too. Like if I work at Google, I don't have to do that. Mm -mm. Um, and, and the great thing is you get a paycheck. You don't get a paycheck for any of that. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. Right. And this idea that um, if things go sideways and fall apart, that my whole friend group uh, and mm-hmm. my whole community is destroyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just it's just different. Uh, and the idea that it's the same as any other job just isn't valid. So, um, yeah, I think just being seen. A yeah. lady came up to me and hugged me the other day and she said I just want you to know I see you what a great gift my eyes teared up because that's my primary goal with our congregation every weekend is there are people there that just need to be seen and that's where I am depending on the Holy Spirit to lead me to them directly and when she said I I just see you that was so sweet yeah years ago when we were um, on church staff in Dallas I was in the choir if any of you remember what choirs are. (laughs) And um, there was a a man behind me, an older man, older gentleman in the tenor section, and he and I would chat and just got to know each other and um, just had a nice little, you know, back and forth relationship. It was 
months into my time in the choir when he said one night, oh, I just realized that you're Mark's wife. Mark was one of the main pastors and would fill the pulpit when the main pastor was gone and so forth. So he was very known. And, you know, it just did my heart good Mm -hmm. that he had known me for all those months and he hadn't said, oh, you're Mark's wife. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just good that he knew me as me. Yeah. And uh, that story made a big impact on my life (laughs) in that time. That is a great gift. So I think there's a tension. You bring that up, and I love that you told that story. Um, But there is a tension that ministry-wise need to wrestle with, Mm -hmm. and that is um, that being on this front line is great because you see all the great things God is doing from a front row seat, but you also get get hit on the on this front line. Um, But it also brings some opportunities. And while I want to be known for being Coletta and not just Craig's wife, um, there's an opportunity that comes with being Craig's wife that if I if I stay in my own, I need to be me. Um, I will miss it. Like, there's this girl that um, she came up to me in the foyer. This was many, several years ago. And she um, she said she had tears in her eyes. She got really close face to face to face and said, you're Craig's wife. I think I need to talk to you. I She was clearly about seven months pregnant. And she said she had just moved into town. And... Um, she had been listening to Craig and been attending our church for about six months. And she said, I feel like I can trust him. So will you teach me how to follow Jesus? Cause I don't know what I'm going to do. And mm-hmm. my husband, my, or my boyfriend is in prison and I don't know whether to tell him about the baby and um, all these things, these circumstances that I could have been like push, push away because the cir- circumstances are intimidating. And I could have pushed away because, oh, you're just seeking me out because I'm Craig's wife. Well, I want to. I want you to seek me out because I'm who I am, what I bring to the table. Mm-hmm. But I had to really get over that because it's about kingdom advancement. I don't care how the opportunity comes to me. Right. And if they have learned to trust Craig because of his vulnerability and his heart for Jesus from up front, and they can somehow like transfer that to me, and I can pick up where he left off yeah, and take king, him by the hand. Kingdom opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but my own pride can get in the way of that. And I think we need to wrestle with that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. And, you know, I would be the first to say that I love the opportunities yeah. that yeah. I have to minister to people uh, just because I'm Mark's wife and he's the president of Denver Seminary. I mean, we meet so many people and I have an opportunity to minister to them in ways that he doesn't. And it's really beautiful. Yeah. Of all, all the demands and the, mm-hmm. the challenges and the, the, the costs, the, the sometimes ugly side of it mm-hmm. that you deal with routinely, what's the upside? Yeah, I would say we do see good, bad, and ugly. Um, and there are a lot of demands. There are a lot of challenges. And there are a lot of heartaches. But the upside is what I was just saying. We get to meet a lot of people and we get to see God working in a lot of ways, uh, both in students' lives, in faculty and staff, uh, for us in the lives of donors and constituents, and um, just to come alongside them. And honestly, God gives us opportunities to pastor people, um, especially some of our older donors. 
uh, who don't necessarily feel like they're pastored. I mean, we give communion, mm. we pray, we, Marcus is going to be doing some funerals and, you know, just to be able to be in the lives of people, the presence of Christ that we would never know otherwise. It's been a beautiful thing and we really love that. that. It is. Mm, that's so well said, Priscilla. I love you. Um, I think I would say the the best thing is watching the Lord do through us together what is too big for us to do separately. Mm. Yeah. Um, and getting a front row seat to that and to, to collapse in bed at the end of a crazy hard day and know... Oh, we served Jesus well today, Amen. and we did it together. We did it hand in hand, and the world got to see unity. Yeah. What a great note. Thank you both. Um, before we sign off, tell listeners how they can connect with you or what you would recommend they do if they don't know who to connect with. Sure. Um, the best way is through our website, is alongsideministrywives.com. They can... Uh, click on any of our coaches actually uh, myself and Priscilla are toward the top of the our team page and you can send us an email directly if they would like to um, talk with us we get back within 24 hours and we're usually able to set up a zoom call um, specifically if there's some some tender uh, heart things that need to be talked about soon uh, so yeah those are great ways to to connect with us good and you have a blog as well do you not? We actually send out um, biweekly resources that okay. are specifically for women uh, past, or ministry wives. And they touch on a lot of the pain points, but they really point us to what God is doing through those so that we okay. have our eyes fixed on Jesus. Okay. So all they have to do to get that is to um, sign up for the Get Regular Emails at the top of the homepage. Okay. And the homepage again was? AlongsideMinistryWives.com. Dot com. Good. Claudia Smith, Priscilla Young, thank you both. You're welcome. Thank this you. has been a it's great been a conversation. Yeah. yeah. And listeners, let me um, thank you again for spending some time with us and invite you to uh, visit our seminary webpage, denverseminary.edu. Find lots of good resources there for lots of things, lots of needs, and we want to be of uh, help to you in any way we can. I uh, want to give uh, a special thanks to all of you uh, who... Um, who help make Denver Seminary possible. Those of you who share generously with us and um, help us do what the Lord has called us to do to help uh, men and women engage the needs of the world with the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of Scripture. Uh, that continues to motivate us, and we hope it motivates you as well. Uh, in the meantime, I'm Don Payne, and we will look forward to another conversation with you very soon. Take care.